Welcome to another episode of My Own Two Hands, a KDNK public affairs program that explores sustainability issues in the Roaring Fork Valley and beyond by meeting the thought leaders and practitioners who are developing and implementing sustainable solutions at any scale from local to global. My name is Adrian Victor Fielder. I'm an assistant dean at Colorado Mountain College and a co-founder of CMC's Sustainability Studies program, which launched in 2011 as the college's first bachelor degree. And I'm here with my trusty co-pilot, Adele Kraft. Hi, I'm Adele. Thank you so much for joining us today. I earned my Bachelor of Arts degree in Sustainability Studies from Colorado Mountain College that Adrian was just mentioning. And I'm really excited to share our sustainability passion and knowledge with the community members in the Roaring Fork Valley. So thank you for joining us. All right. We have a special guest in the house today, Seth Goddard. Seth, you may know from the board of Carbonell Arts. You may also recognize his voice. He's been a volunteer DJ at KDNK in the past. Hello, hello. <laughs> um, we brought Seth in because he's doing some world-changing stuff in sustainability. Uh, Seth sees data as a tool for change with its possibilities to evaluate the flow of money and its impact on inequality, earth systems, and long-term business viability. He reminded me of that famous quip by David Brower, great protector of ecosystems, there is no business on a dead planet. Hmm. In that spirit, Seth develops research methodology, metrics, applications, and actions to measure and move the multiple bottom lines of sustainability and social impact. And he has a real beginner's mind, thanks to his mindfulness practices, um, where he embraces curiosity and change. He works as a team member, and he leads from where he is, which is currently in the KDNK studio. Here we are. Thank you. Thank you for, uh, for inviting me to join you on air. Yeah. So uh, we're going to get into your current work with Slalom, where you're on the ESG team. We're going to learn all about ESG and regenerative economies. But first, uh, could you tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up here in the Valley? Oh, man, it's been a long, strange trip. Um, but I came to the Valley uh, when my wife and I were looking around the Bay Area and decided we needed to get the heck out of there. Uh, the metropolitan hoo-ha of San Francisco was enough, and we had a kindergartner, and um, we saw this place called Carbondale with a wonderful uh, education system in the valley, and we made our way here. Uh, that was almost eight years ago, and um, have not regretted the move at all. It's a wonderful community to be in. Um, so that's what brought us here, and... Um, Ever since, I'd say that I've just been able to embrace the wild. That was one of the reasons why we moved here, is to get closer to the wild. And we have it in spades. Um, we're close enough to the crystal that I get to dip my feet in it uh, daily. And uh, I'd say that that is one of the things that grounds me. Mm. Amazing. Wonderful. Well, I love to start with 
kind of uh, dive into what sustainability means to you. I think sometimes that can seem like an abstract concept to people that don't know a lot about sustainability. And how did you get there? Um, why is sustainability a part of your life and what you do? Um, well, I think as a preschooler, I was fortunate enough to attend a school that was founded by a woman who wrote um, a book called The Soul of Money. Uh, her name was Lynn Twist. And I was fortunate enough to go to a preschool in San Francisco that just was super diverse and allowed me to begin to see the world through um, really open eyes. And um, sustainability is just kind of that. It's opening your eyes and your heart to the world that's around you and in the present moment. And um, from there, I've been in technology. Um, which brought me into databases, which then brought me into business systems. Um, and it's really business systems that I'm now focused on because I see that in order for sustainability to take root, it needs to take root inside of those spreadsheets and databases that run our businesses. I don't think we're going to get rid of that technology as much as it may or may not be a good idea. We're sort of stuck with it. Mm. And so my efforts now are to place metrics inside of those systems alongside of money so that you can, in fact, see, as, as Lynn accurately called it, the soul of money when you align um, whether or not you're making progress towards sustainability goals. Uh, at the same time, are you making money or losing money? And are any of those things um, butting heads? Are you making money from people who are making a mess? Or are you making money from um, efforts that are also reducing stress? And that's, um, that's what I focus on uh, with businesses around the world. Global Fortune 500 companies are very interested now in how do, how do they show progress. And so um, that's what I focus on. Um, specifically, the goals that I look at from a sustainability perspective are those that are what are known as indicators that are beneath the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. During COVID, I had the time, I had some free time, uh, I think, like many of us. And it was at that point that I um, learned that the United Nations had sustainable development goals that had been um, supported by every nation in the world, including the United States. Um, I had missed that. It really wasn't top of mind for me. And once I saw that, I realized, wow, we actually have a data set. That's what those uh, indicators represent. There's like 239 of them that stretch from um, increasing the number of women in management positions, increasing access to education, to decreasing carbon emissions. So it runs the gamut of E and S, the E and S, the environmental and social of ESG, environmental, social, and um, corporate governance. So it's where the E and the S are, are captured completely in that data set. And so I looked to um, inject those into the business of business, and uh, specifically inside of a Salesforce system, uh, which is a popular database uh, tool for many corporations around the world. And now I stick those uh, indices inside of those business systems, and people can start tracking um, their commitments. So I focus on commitments as well. Um, Specifically, if you look at any public company, most of those companies are all producing reports that talk about, oh, we're committed to X, Y, or Z. Um, 
Well, you can take those and put them inside of a, a, a business system and then start tracking what actions are you taking and helping business leaders actually write down um, you know, what actions are we going to take. Because until you start making progress and, and actionable results are occurring, data is just a math game. Mm-hmm. And you can, you can fudge the numbers however you want, but you can't really fudge action. It's either happening or it's not. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I focus on um, that part of the data as much as, yeah, I can tell you right now your carbon footprint's too large. You don't need to spend a ton of time or money measuring it. You need to focus on making change happen mm. and sourcing your energy from cleaner places is a number one. Um, so that's... Um, I don't know. It's been a long road since preschool, but uh, <laughs> that's uh, that's kind of what what brought me here today. And and I, I you know I have a lot of uh, thanks to give to COVID um, for that time period of quiet yeah. when I was able to um, just reflect. And um, you know the the word dukkha is that a no. familiar term? It's mm-hmm. a Sanskrit word. Um, I actually just learned the other day. It, it's actually from the sound that a wheel makes when it's out of alignment. That's perfect. Um, and when COVID happened and we were in lockdown, but you know, here in the Roaring Fork Valley, we have the good fortune of being able to just walk outside. And it, that quiet and what felt like solitude here um, allowed me to kind of smooth out some of that dukkha. <laughs> Um, from the wheel of, of how I see our economy running and mm-hmm. how I see businesses running. And I can see that there are ways to maybe smooth it out um, and reduce some of the dissatisfaction that I know I've felt with how our economy runs because of its impact on the planet and then also on people that have no, uh, often no say in the matter. And more and more, there are ways to measure whether or not you're allowing someone say in the matter. Mm-hmm. There's actually a UN SDG around, mm-hmm. do people feel like they're being listened to? Right. Yeah, you can, you can actually measure that. And you can take action to make sure that all stakeholders are involved. I know at Slalom, I was just in a meeting this morning listening to one of my colleagues talk about how she works with indigenous peoples who um, are within the sphere of influence of a corporation and how she can bring those two stakeholders together mm. to help uh, decision-making processes. And um, I found that fascinating that, um, you know, that's actually what some of the work that we're doing at Slalom um, involves how do you bring more and more stakeholders to the table because more and more capitalism is resting on what has been called stakeholder capitalism. It's not just the shareholders. It's also those that are impacted by the products and how those products are made. Um, and that's, uh, that's kind of what I work on day to day. And there's data involved, but um, it's really, it's almost the data is used to just raise awareness, to give you something you can try and reduce. But I like to emphasize that that should be the least amount of time and money that you spend. It really needs, you have to then learn quickly what actions need to, do we need to take? Where can we reduce? So you're, you're talking about how to quantify 
the ways in which an institution puts its values into practice through its actions. Mm-hmm. So what is, what is the dukkha? <laughs> what is the dissatisfaction? Um, you mean for companies? In, in our economy, as it, as it runs as a default, um, mm. what, what is, what's wrong with the wheel? I, I think people recognize that it's not sustainable. I mean, certainly our environment has shown us and made very clear that the temperature is just going to rise to a very unsustainable level. Um, and so we do need to make change happen. Um, we've also seen how people are being affected by the waste streams and how their lives are being destroyed. So that's where the dissatisfaction comes. And more and more, I think that, um, well, Milton Friedman, the great economist um, who supported the idea of shareholder supremacy, he um, also recognized that when corporations are, not, are, are actually destroying the environment but claiming that they're doing good, that actually turned his stomach. He actually used the phrase, nothing turns my stomach more than seeing that happen. Um, at that time, he, and this was in the early 70s, he was willing to accept that turned stomach. He was willing to accept that nauseous feeling around um, capitalism that was making money for the shareholder. I, I don't think people are willing to accept it anymore. Mm-hmm. We've recognized that it's this, this feeling that just is not something we want to live with. Uh, and the results are right in our face. Right um, so I think that's the dissatisfaction, and many corporate leaders are aware of that. They're listening to their hearts. They're mm-hmm. not just listening to the calculator brain that says we need to make more money. Um, people have learned how to listen to their hearts more. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, logically it makes sense that we do need to live more sustainably. Okay. So I think that's where the, the, uh, the dukkha is, um, and people have recognized it. In the past, I think we just accepted it as um, uh, just the price you pay. Mm. So how can uh, businesses avoid greenwashing and, and or how can consumers mm. detect it when it's occurring? I think the number one thing for businesses is to build community around the actions that they know they need to take. And when I say build community, that means... Um, listening to their employees and to their stakeholders. So that could be their supply chain. Uh, That could be the consumer that's purchasing their good or their service. Um, So certainly listen, but uh, then take action and share what action you're taking. And even if it's a small one, talk about it and get people involved with it. Um, Because there's a financial, there's usually a financial investment that needs to be made. And that can be really scary um, because you may not see the return in the first quarter. Uh, But by sharing what you're doing and sharing the positive actions that you're taking, um, you can help bring your consumer base along and also keep your employees. More and more employees are are looking for businesses where they feel good in their heart Mm -hmm. that they're working someplace that's not greenwashing because it's very obvious yeah. I mean, it's so obvious. If you pick up a big oil company's annual report today, you pick up their ESG report, the marketing language in there is phenomenal. I mean, it's yeah. just <laughs> so loosey-goosey. It's, um, 
it's it's an interesting read. Um, <laughs> and and it's just obvious. I think that's the other thing is, and especially with social media channels now, um, you know, people can pick out those uh, greenwashing. And when I say greenwashing, it, it really just means those words that are so fudgy um, that you can tell they're only there to protect companies from lawsuits. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and people are aware of those. And, and I don't think that we're standing for them anymore. Yeah. I think Greta Thunberg was a wonderful example of saying, you know, we business as usual simply cannot continue. And we all heard her. Yeah. I, I mean, it was a, it was a clear call mm-hmm. uh, that most people heard and understood. And no one said, nah, maybe, maybe we could. No, we, we can't. So as as consumers, we make many, many, many decisions mm. daily mm-hmm. on what products to buy, what, you know, when we're strolling through the grocery store aisles, you're bombarded mm. with thousands of products. Do you have any recommendations for people um, who are consumers on like certain metrics or labeling or just things to look out for um, and how to make informed decisions as a consumer? Um. I mean, it's, it goes back to basic nutrition. So when it comes to food, right, the, if you can't pronounce it, probably the process that created the thing that you can't pronounce is probably not that good. Um, and obviously, when it comes to food, the shorter the distance that it had to travel to get to you, that's great. Um, focus on, I mean, it, it's all those things sort of like, you know, think globally, act locally, and, you know, buy local as much as you can. Um, I know Patagonia ran that wonderful ad many decades now ago that said, don't buy this jacket. Yeah. <laughs> and Which was incredibly effective, apparently. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> apparently. But I think it, right, exactly. This is, although this is warm wear. Um, so I think, you know, buying thrift where you can, but, you know, not being afraid to buy things that have been used before. And, um, you know, that's okay. It's probably just fine. Yeah. You don't need a brand new one. So I think just reducing the amount of uh, resources that are consumed to keep you happy um, is something that we can all do. Hmm. Um, we can definitely all do that. And it's still, it's not easy. You know, this is a consumer economy. I mean, the fact that our economy is literally built on us consuming things right. is odd. I would love to talk a little bit about the carbon bubble. Mm. Um, because I agree, yes. many of us heard Greta's words, mm-hmm. um, but many folks didn't or tuned it out, and yet they're interested in long-term returns on their investment. Um, mm-hmm. w- what is the deal with people trying to um, force corporations to divulge what their long-term profitability is versus this this obsession with the, the, the short-term gains and the, and the quarterly reports. People are really starting to say, for example, to the fossil giants, we want to know really like how profitable are you going to be in 10 years when we know for a fact that the known reserves that you're talking about exploiting will tip humanity into an un, uninhabitable planet. Mm. As I, as I understand it, the carbon bubble is this idea that our, our current valuations of publicly listed companies and products and services is based on 
um, a fossil subsidy mm. that is currently very inexpensive compared right. to what what it really should cost, and that coming soon we're going to start to see the actual cost. I think we already are. Mm. You know the, mm. the supply chain issues we've had during COVID. Um, are an example, but pretty soon the cost of moving all these goods around the planet is actually going to going to show up in the price that we have to pay for these goods. Right, I call so, it right pricing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So at this point, you know, is the carbon bubble going to burst, and what what happens? Yeah, I don't know um, if the carbon bubble will burst. I think that um, what I look for are those just actions. You know. Um, if you're a company or you're buying a product that is dependent upon fossil fuels, what actions are you taking to reduce and then eliminate those fossil fuels from that product or um, from those goods? There are so many other renewable options that just take time to transition into so that your jacket or whatever it is is Mm -hmm. made from more recycled material um, that it doesn't require a lot of fossil fuels to produce mm-hmm. it, um, or even your food. So, so I think people are moving away. Right. Uh, there are core. I mean, the big oil companies are investing in ways to get off of oil. Um, they're in a. You know, I don't envy them. They're in a very tough spot because our economy does currently run on the extraction of fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. You know, plastics and pretty. Much, you know, I'm looking around this room. I'm sure there's a ton of carbon in here, mm-hmm. um, just how we've produced things. And, um, you know, they can't just pull the plug, but, you know, how are they going to help us transition? And that's what I would look for, you know, is how are companies transitioning? What are they actively investing in? And just, you know, show us the money. That's why, you know, when it comes to data, you can track what's the budget that you have for those transitions and are you spending it? And what are the results? Um, the database product that, that we developed, that the team developed at Slalom is called ORS for Objectives, Actions, and Results. Um, because showing the action that you're taking and showing the result is really what we can all look for from companies. We can ask, you know, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Um, right on. So um, I'm assuming that Slalom is not a maker of skis. No. Could no. you tell us a little bit yeah, about this sure. company you work for? And, yeah, so and what is what is this industry like? Wh- wh- what's going on with ESG as, as a career opportunity? Well, so, uh, so Slalom is a consulting firm. Um, we are like 50,000 people strong all over the world, I believe. It's quite large. Um, we have local offices all over the world and then global team members like myself. Um, and we work with Fortune 500 companies Part of our practice is ESG. Part of it is your standard, you know, um, build up a, a database system for whatever business it is or some technology tool or, or um, just, you know, your consulting practice. Um, and ESG, what is it? I think that there's the head of sustainability at NASDAQ, the, the stock indices, I think said it best where in ESG, um, those metrics underneath, how are you doing environmentally and socially, and do you have governance in place to manage all of that? Consider it a way to view the risks and opportunities that a company has. And it's just a broader view. So it's not just the financials, it also incorporates these other 
ways to measure a company's impact. And that's, um, that's how I view it. Uh, that's how, and I, I think it gets thrown around a lot. You know, there's a lot of politics around the word, but mm-hmm. the essence or the, the initials, the essence is just, it's a broader view of a company um, that incorporates things other than money mm-hmm. and incorporates peanut, people on the planet. And, um, and that gives you a broader view. That would have helped Milton Friedman, I think, understand that he was making money from companies that were, in fact, going to destroy the planet uh, mm-hmm. if they just ran uh, without any transition, uh, as, as we see today. Um, and so if he had had an ESG dashboard or some sort of <laughs> tool that would have helped him explain that nauseous feeling, I think um, he might have spoken differently about uh, just give the shareholder money. Right. Um, so ESG, it helps uh, you understand w- where those companies are going. Well, unfortunately, we are almost at the end. We've got about a minute left. I just wanted to thank thank you, Seth, for mm-hmm. joining us today. Um, before we leave, is there anything else that you wanted to share with our listeners? Any final words? Oh, I just think that, um, you know, we all know, I think, uh, where we are uh, at this time on the planet and how um, we can treat each other. Um, w- to the best of our abilities, um, with compassion and with wisdom. And we all have that. Um, we don't need metrics. We don't need databases or, um, you know, some spreadsheet to tell us what to do. Just listen to your heart. Um, definitely take the time, um, throughout your day to just tap into your own intuition and, um, don't, you know, don't ignore that. And, um, I think that tends to produce the best results. Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for joining us today. And thank you for listening to My Own Two Hands on KDNK. Let's work on listening to our hearts today, like Seth said. Thank Mm -hmm. you.